Hi, I'm Sonia Jean Killebrew, and this is Black America and COVID, an oral history project. I started this project during Black History Month of 2022 because I wanted to provide a platform for Black Americans to share their stories about living, working, and or going to school during the COVID-19 pandemic. I also wanted to provide a space for people to memorialize someone who is a Black American who sadly lost their life during the COVID-19 pandemic. I was inspired by the work of Zora Neale Hurston, author and anthropologist, to record the experiences of Black Americans in their own voices. My goal is to get my recordings into museums, such as the Smithsonian Museum of African American History and Culture, or the Schomburg, or the Library of Congress's Folklife Museum. I'll share a little bit about me and my family history, and then I'll speak to my guests. I'm a Black American. My dad was African American and Indigenous American. His ancestors were enslaved in Georgia. In fact, we still have our family's slave name, which is Kilbrew. My dad, Dr. Terrence Kilbrew, met my mom in graduate school at the New School in New York when they were both earning their master's degrees in psychology. And I'm a fourth generation teacher. So my mother is a retired New York City teacher. My grandmother was a teacher on the island of Jamaica for 20 years and then in New York for 20 years. My great-grandmother was a teacher in Jamaica up until she got married. She was the daughter of an Irish woman and a black man. She stopped working after she got married because it wasn't considered respectable for a married woman to continue working in the late 1800s. And ironically, my mother began teaching long after she got married in the late 1900s. So, without further ado, I'm excited to speak with my guest today. Uh, my name is Muhammad Yassin. I am from Ohio, and I now live in Indiana, which is basically Ohio. <laughs> <laughs> and do you identify as Black or African American, or how do you identify? You know, that's a really good question, and I think one that's complicated. Um, I, I would say that personally, I probably identify as Black. But as I was thinking about that coming into this like conversation, I think I also realized that a lot of that just has to do with the fact that as a Black person, in many instances, like society decides what your label is, right? You don't really get as much um, leeway on that um, as you might if you were not Black and had other ethnicities mixed into it in, in your, uh, your background. That's a good so. point. Yeah. If people just look at us and just say, you're Black. Black guy. Yeah. Right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, my, 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 my dad did a lot, of, a lot of work, I think, tracking down, um, you know, information on, on uh, ancestors and that sort of thing. It was a really big deal to him. Um, yeah. And, you know, what he what he found, I think, on both sides of the family was a lot of variety, right? Like his family uh, came mostly from Louisiana, so a lot of Creole, uh, right? A lot of 
uh, you know, slaves from West Africa that ended up uh, married to people of French descent and that sort of thing. Um, and then on my mom's side, um, a lot of blood coming from Turkey, coming from uh, the West Indies, um, and then a very large portion coming from uh, Sweden uh, as well. Um, but, you know, as much as I'm a mutt of sorts, uh, one drop rule is still a thing. <laughs> yeah, like my mom, I found through my mom on the Jamaican side that, so my great great grandmother was an Irish white woman and she married a black Jamaican man. And then mm-hmm. great great grandmother was half white, half black. And then, you know, as time moves on, we become, I don't know, darker. But yeah, <laughs> we have everything in us, like you said. It's uh, crazy. It's crazy. I actually just had a, met someone earlier today um, who was half Syrian and half, um, was her mom? I think her mom actually was, her mom was Swedish actually as well. Um, and she had a sister, her older sister, she said, looked just like her Syrian dad's so more dark skinned, had kind of a Mediterranean look to her. Uh, whereas she came out blonde, blue eyed, light skinned like her mom. Uh, and just talking about the differences growing up between the two of them, where mm-hmm. like her, her, her sister still to this day is really viewed and st- like categorized as other right as you know the foreigner and, and and deals with all the racism attached to that whereas she doesn't and never has mm. and just like the struggles that she was having even as a kid having her sister bullied on the bus or people talking to her dad in different ways and kind of just ignoring the fact that she was there and like her not being able like she's going to do anything about it it's wow. it's crazy the things that we do to people yeah in in america and we're all human beings but yeah absolutely absolutely so that's my long-winded answer (laughs) no i appreciate that i like (laughs) details yeah no as a writer i love details so thank you uh so i'm really excited to hear you talk about your experience living and working during the pandemic and if you could start like in 2020 and just describe that year and then 2021 wow it feels like it's all blended together at this point yeah um but I guess we can talk about, I'll actually back up a little bit into mm-hmm. probably 2019, right? Um, because there are some, I think, professional crossovers that uh, to the pandemic that actually started in 2019 around uh, like the, the end of the year, right? And that's kind of a time where um, I work in tech and was executive at the company that I worked at. And that's a time where we're really doing a lot of planning for the following year. Um, you know, you're, you're looking at, at what does your culture look like? What does productivity look like? What kind of goals do you want to set? And one of the big topics of conversation at that point was remote work. Um, because it had started to happen organically as we were hiring people across the country, mostly regional salespeople, but then folks that were local realizing, oh, well, if you already hired someone there then why can't I leave too so we had employees that were you know up and moving to Colorado Florida um, a lot of places where they're like I really wanted to live here I want to live on the beach so I'm going to go because clearly I can do my work if they can do their work I can do mine too Um, and it was happening like I said really really organically and we had this big conversation about how do we actually 
make remote work work? How do we make it like equitable for everyone? Um, and it was, it was a really contentious conversation, right? We had the, the older, older heads that were, it's not possible, right? That were saying, um, if you can't see the cars in the parking lot, then clearly no one's working. Oh, <laughs> no. <laughs> right. Or how we, you know, collaboration is a really big thing in tech as well. How do you collaborate when everyone's not together? Um, and we, 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 you know, the, the consensus out of there was um, regardless of whether everyone likes this or not, it's happening. You can't put the genie back in the bottle. So let's at least try to get our arms around it. And we set ourselves a goal that by the end of 20, uh, 2020, that um, everyone on the staff, would be in a position of working, um, I believe it was like 75% remote, hmm. right? Uh, so we set that goal. We rolled it out at the end of January when we did our kind of our annual rollout of strategy. And then, you know, pandemic hit. Oh, wow. <laughs> so pandemic hit in, in March. Um, the shutdown came, what was it, like March 14th-ish or so, something like that. I remember it was like a Thursday. And we had this conversation kind of the exec team getting together saying, okay, like we need to send everybody home. Um, we think this is coming. So let's just do it. Right. And the next day, and it was, this is going to be the two weeks, right? The two weeks to flatten the curve. Right. Oh, that's right. <laughs> two weeks. <laughs> two weeks. 14 days to flatten the curve. Right. Um, so we pulled everyone together, like lunchtime on Friday. I'm like, all right, we're all going home. This is apparently a really big deal. It's very serious. Um, you know, so everyone just go grab, grab your computer. Uh, if there, you think there's anything else you might need over the next two weeks, right? Go ahead and grab it now. So you know, some folks grab their chairs, some folks grab an extra monitor. Kind of was, there was no real plan to it necessarily. Um, but folks grab what they thought they needed. And they went home with the full intention of being back in two weeks. Um, and as of today, no one's returned to the building. Really? Yeah. We, uh, what we found really fast was, and I think part of this was, you know, trauma bonding, mm. right? Uh, was that we were more productive in the six months following going home than we had ever been. Wow. Right. Um, and part of that, I think, was when you have control over nothing, you try to find something to give control over. And producing a thing or making a thing was the was the one thing we could all feel like we controlled while we were stuck in our house. Um, and, and, you know, I don't know if that's positive or negative. Um, I think on a positive side, we all got to know each other better because that's what happens when you're when you're in trauma with another human being right you kind of like open up and you realize really quickly like what's important and what's not and you're also moving to like a remote environment and zoom or we're using teams you're, you're literally inviting everyone and your team into your home right whereas before you really only had that persona of who you were at work there was right. no hiding your pets and your kids and you know the fact that you suddenly had to set up an office maybe in the corner of your bedroom and your bed's in the background, right? right. Like, yes. Like, it's, it's funny when you think about it, like before we all act like no one went to bed, right? <laughs> but, but it forced us to like really face that like humanness and realness and I think be more authentic overall. Mm. Um, 
on the negative side, I think it also took a lot of us a while to um, find out, find healthy boundaries mm. as well, right? Uh, it was, you know, it's easy to, when you don't have these kind of mile markers through the day uh, that you have in a regular work environment of, oh, it's five o'clock or it's 4.30, I need to make sure I get in my car because if I don't, I'm going to hit rush hour traffic and then I might as well stay another two hours. Right. right? Um, or, oh, this is the time where everyone's getting up. It must be lunchtime. Let me go grab a lunch or whatever. Right. Uh, or the mornings, right. Of like, I have to get up and leave by X time, or I'm really going to be screwed by rush hour. All these things instead, like time just blended together. Right. And we end up in these situations where you like look up and it's dark outside. And you're like, oh my God, I'm still working. And then another call comes in because no one else is keeping track of time either. Right. Um, and once again, we're trying to do something. And, you know, it was rough those first couple of months, I think was really long nights that probably didn't need to be long nights. Um, and then also with, you know, for many of us fear of like going outside at all, mm-hmm. um, you know, and, you know, I think that was really pronounced for me. Um, I've, had weak lungs on my life, right? Um, I think my first time I got pneumonia, I think I was three. And then I oh. I got pneumonia or bronchitis every year until I was 19. <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> wow. Um, so I wasn't trying to get it, right? Yeah. And then also my daughter's got asthma and had some, you know, uh, respiratory issues as well so we're just and we're trying to be like extra careful and I freak out about things so this is one of those things right (laughs) yeah I was the same way I stayed at home I only went grocery shopping once a week and I stayed indoors I think March April May I think in June I finally started taking walks outside I was about the same probably right like I was really I was in the house and you know we we I mean, I'm in, I'm in suburban uh, Indianapolis, um, so access to lots of things. And one of those things was uh, delivery services, right? And I had already started using like food delivery services and that sort of thing, um, just because it was more like efficient use of my time, right? Like I love shopping, but I like shopping for shoes and clothes, not, you know, produce. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so I had already moved to a scenario where like we had a regular shopper that was bring like would go do our grocery shopping for us and bring the food to our doorstep at that before before quarantine they actually would bring it in and put it on your kitchen counter for you nice um, it was really nice um so we were already used to that so there was really like no reason for us to go outside right oh, like we were yeah. li- we were in we were in the house um and then eventually I did start taking walks probably around like the Mayish time frame, right? Mm-hmm. And I walked a lot. I mean, I was walking five, six miles a day. Um, it was just through the neighborhoods and, you know, you'd play the like Pac-Man game where you'd see the other people that were walking as well. And like, you'd try to like alternate yeah. blocks. So- <laughs> <laughs> right you'd wave from afar because still no one really knew what was going on and we didn't have a vaccine or any of those sorts of things um and then you know I remember like the first time I think I was in the house maybe for four months before I got in the car again and I just remember driving for the first time 
I had to go in the office to like grab something uh, that I needed. And the highways are just empty. Mm. Right. It was like a ghost town. It's like mm-hmm. those zombie movies or post-apocalyptic movies where the person goes outside and it's just like, you know, giant, you know, six, eight lane highways with no cars. And mm-hmm. <laughs> it was weird it was just it was it was it was so fucking weird um even just the idea of driving like getting behind that wheel was kind of scary in a way I was like oh you suddenly realize that you're you know you're you're you are in a rocket that's literally exploding you know (laughs) two feet from your knees at all times uh barreling (laughs) down a road you know, however fast you're going, there's no cops, right? (laughs) (laughs) Um, It it was, it was, it was definitely much, much, much different. Um, And then summer came and it looked like things were going to be better. Um, And they felt semi-normalish, but they weren't. Yeah. Right? Um, And I think that whiplash has been tough the past couple of years everything's great in the summer and then it looks shitty in the winter again. And just when you think you're ready to do something, you can't. And um, I think for me as an extrovert, that was also really hard. Oh, that's right. Do you celebrate any holidays and family gatherings? Not really. Like, so I'm, I'm in Indiana. My family's still in Ohio. They are two and a half hours drive away. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I'll go there and see them every, maybe twice a year or something like that. I, I don't like driving and I know two and a half hours is not that big of a deal of a drive for most people, but I don't, I don't enjoy it. Yeah. Um, and um, also I think we had some, we had some differences of opinion around like vaccines and things like that once they became available. Oh, right. Yeah. Or yeah. about quarantine in general before they became available. Right. Like, my, um, well, my parents and two of my siblings, like they all live together um, in, in a house there. Um, and my, the brother that's there, he worked for, works for another tech company. That tech company was connected to basically some essential services. Um, they do, they one of their, with the Red Cross and a couple other like very large or agencies that really needed to have their their hardware um, working. Uh, so he had to go to work in many instances to make sure that a lot of these devices were properly set up and in the hands of some of these responders and healthcare workers. Um, so he never had a time where he really was at home. Wow. Right. He worked at home just as often as he may have any other day, which was, oh, I don't have to do X thing in the office. So I'm actually going to do it at home today. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and then my mom definitely an extrovert and I remember talking to her once and she talked about how she went to the grocery store about how she like she's like I just go all the time she's like I, I can't not go outside I don't want to do that and it's like you don't want to do that okay whatever <laughs> um but uh then my dad was just like going about his business like normal basically I mean he's yeah. retired but he's like f it and um then once the you know once the vaccine came basically everyone in the house got it but him um oh. because he's worried about gene manipulation in 5g yeah 
<laughs> yeah, a lot of people believe that. Yep. What's and shocking though is like my dad uh, has a degree in chemistry. Oh. Right. A uh, master's in education and ran the biology and chemistry labs at a university level for 30 years. Like he's literally a scientist. Oh, that's interesting. And this is where he was at. <laughs> wow. I wonder if it's, I don't know. It's the unknown, the fear of the unknown. I don't know. I think fear of the unknown and a lot, also a lot of skepticism, right? I mean, my dad mm-hmm. is, we like 70 now, right? So he, you know, grew up in a, you know, in a time when he had to, you know, worrying about the, um, you know, Vietnam War drafts, worrying about like for both him and my mom going through what happened to a lot of black activists in the 60s and 70s, mm. right? Um, those crackdowns, them being spied on by the government, lied to by the government, et cetera, right? Like right. They, 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 they went through that firsthand and were targeted by those things um, firsthand, right? right? Um, their trust of, 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 I don't want to say authority, but like systems of government, I think are rooted in uh, a childhood and an upbringing that is different than, than ours. Yeah. yeah right. Um, so I can understand uh, him having some skepticism for sure. What I don't understand is him not getting science as a scientist. That was certainly very frustrating. I can imagine. It's so interesting how everyone had different opinions about the vaccine and wearing masks. And there was a lot of fear over those two years, a lot of anxiety also. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, yeah, 100%. Um, And I'm sure we, we all made some silly mistakes on both sides, right? Like he probably didn't take enough precautions and I probably took too many precautions at some points, right? Uh, but yeah, we, we did the best. <laughs> Every um, day. I I am curious, did you have an office at home that you're able to work in? Or did you set up one during the pandemic? I, I did. Um, I set up like a little office in the corner of my bedroom um, that I used for, for most of the pandemic. And then about halfway in, like many people realized like, oh, well, I don't, we would like some more space. Um, I mean, it was, it was okay. There were three of us uh, there. I was there. My wife has been working from home for four years anyway. And then my daughter was, uh, went, was at school for two years this time, actually, oh, wow. um, as well, which is, we we'll have to chat about that in a second. Um, yeah. That was certainly interesting. Um, but there was enough space in, for each of us to have kind of a dedicated area uh, for us to work in um, and then bought a house a year in. So I went in last year. Um, and there's even more space at this point. Mm -hmm. Really? What was that like? Could you visit the house in person? We could. Um, it was, it was, it was interesting. So one, the housing market really boomed, I'd say starting eight months in to the pandemic, right? In the Midwest, lots of people who were just sick of being in proximity to the same people for the past, <laughs> right? They're like, oh my yes. God, we need more space, right? Yeah. Like for us, it was like, okay, 
uh, I need to not hear you when I'm like, even though you're on the other side of the house, I need to not hear you when you're on your call, right? Or uh, I need to be able to move around. Like that's one of the things I like now is, you know, I, I have maybe three different places in the house that I kind of rotate between mm-hmm. uh, when I'm working, uh, even during the course of the day, right? Which can be can be nice um, and, and makes you feel like you have options and you got control or, you know, those sorts of things. Um, and then also, I think having space for, to do other things as well, right? Like having, uh, you know, one of the things not nice now is like, we've got a room that we can use just for more like artistic stuff, crafting, painting, those sorts of things, right? Um, what we did not have before, it was set everything up on the kitchen table if you want to do something, right? Yeah. Um, or even more room in the bedrooms, right? Like I'm in, I'm in the bedroom now, but I, there's room here to, have a full-size couch and to, you know, watch TV or whatever you want to do, right? Just, we wanted more options. And there were a lot of people that were like that, Mm -hmm. right? Um, You saw that in the apartment industry as well, uh, where people that maybe previously had a one bedroom, like, oh my God, I like a two bedroom, right? Uh Or I need to go to a three bedroom or whatever. Just people needed more space to like do more things. Yeah, absolutely. Um, So that was one of the things. And then the actual like going out and finding a place uh, it was challenging because one, houses were generally going off the market within 24 hours. Yep. Right. It was it was a thing. Um, and two, no one wanted to be to your point, like like in a space. So those everyone was masked, but it was usually um, one realtor going into the house at a time, right, with their client walking through, leaving, then the next person will come in. What that means though, is that in the suburban area, you have lines literally out into the street and cars up and down the road with people queued up waiting to walk into the house. Wow. Right? (laughs) (laughs) Wow. (laughs) So a lot of pressure if you find something, because you know, like when you walk out, there's like 20 people literally standing outside about to go in there. You don't know what's going to happen. Right? It was really, really, really funky. And also you're going into people's houses. You don't know what they're up to or how they're, you know, what their level of, 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 of cleanliness or sanitation or whatever has been. Uh-huh. Right. It was, it was awkward, especially for, you know, this is a primarily, I'd say Republican leaning uh, par- part of Indianapolis being on the, the outer edges of it. Um so yeah, I mean, when we found this place, I we got lucky. We got oh. lucky. With the, the first time we came, um, the first time it came up, we actually uh, it went under contract on our way over to see it, so we had to turn around. Oh. Um, and then two weeks later, the deal fell through and it popped up again. Um, luckily, it was the day that a snowstorm was starting. <laughs> So there were a lot of people that work out on the, getting out on the roads to come see it. We only live about a mile, lived about a mile away from it. So we came over immediately, made an offer while we were standing in it uh, with a 24 hour expiration on it because the, the storm was going to, we knew it was about, about two days worth of storm. Right. Um, so we're like, okay, no one's coming tonight and probably no one's coming tomorrow. So we need to like nail this down right now. <laughs> wow. That's exciting. Um, so we, we did it. But, and it was one of those weird things like with the, with the inspection, um, the original owner came during the inspection, which he wasn't even supposed to do, but 
I mean, he showed up as I was like walking around and he was not masked, mm. right? Um, and we had a long conversation, uh, part of which he, uh, in that conversation, he, he mentioned about uh, the China virus, oh. right? The China virus and how it was made in the lab to destabilize the US currency. Where do you get these <laughs> theories? I don't even know. I, I mean, I didn't even. The only thing I said was that um, <laughs> the Chinese don't need a virus to destabilize our currency. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. They just need to call our debt. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. exactly oh boy (laughs) and then I left it alone because I did want to buy the house but (laughs) (laughs) but yeah it's crazy the number of things are just like floating out there that people have come up with and I think it's mostly been it's mostly fear-based yeah right everyone's scared and when you're scared you you know uh you back up into what can sometimes not be a very healthy self Mm-hmm. Um, or you, you you grasp at things that hopefully make sense of something that doesn't make sense. And, you know, COVID didn't really make sense for a long time. Yeah. It was nothing to really, like, we didn't understand what it was. We just knew that it was really dangerous uh, and that there was no way to, like, fix it yeah. or, like, truly be safe outside of, like, just not being around folks. And that was, that's hard, especially for, like, a control freak like me. Like, I... It's hard. Yeah. Like, did you have a quarantine crew or were you just not? I didn't. Yeah. I didn't. I really didn't. Um, I, you know, my, my circle of friends is very small and always has been. Um, and as a result of that, like, and also a lot of them have started like distributing across the country and across the world. Mm-hmm. right so you know one of my close friends is in Spain and we would like FaceTime or whatever you know friends in New York for sure friends back in Ohio friends on the west coast like so there was no access to them anyway right, right. There's, those, these are people that I probably see face to face a couple of times a year um, and that's not happening when like planes are grounded um, and then like I said I also moved here so I don't have like family here um that I could reach out to either we were it was just the three of us in the house mm-hmm. um on our own and uh I've got one my two close friends or t- I guess two of my three close friends that are here in town were also pretty much no-goes uh one of them is a nurse right so she was you know at the hospital in the ER every single day mm-hmm. like you know just waist deep in COVID patients and it was like okay well we can't Mm. it's just not safe yeah right it's not safe it's not safe for you to come here um (laughs) I could just we couldn't we couldn't we couldn't hang out um the other friend we did end up at at a point where we could like at least go out and take walks um she didn't believe in COVID Oh. Uh, being a thing but 
she owns a cleaning company and one of her clients was um, the Indianapolis Colts. And the NFL had guidelines on how to handle COVID. And one of those was that anyone entering their facility had to be tested uh, the day of them entering, mm-hmm. right? So she would go there three times a week because of supervising her cleaning crews. Um, and they would, uh, they had a private plane actually dedicated to it where every morning they would take blood samples. Mm. Um, they would actually nasal swabs. Then they would throw them on a jet. They'd fly them to Maryland and you'd have your results back by three o'clock in the afternoon before your shift started. Wow. Oh, right. It's crazy. As a result, she was getting tested three times a week. Right. Which meant she was probably the safest person for me to be around. (laughs) (laughs) So she did start coming over for like walks and things like that. Um, And we just avoided the topic of, of, uh, of COVID because it was certainly impacting her business. Like her, her home business for cleaning just had crashed. Right. It was gone. Like, um, she had her, she had the one corporate client there, but everyone else, the offices had shut down. So no one was cleaning there. And people certainly weren't letting cleaners into their homes. Right. 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 And this is, you know, a business that she was very proud of that she started in her early twenties and like grew up in a trailer and had built this at that point, I think before COVID, which was about maybe a $1.5 million business, oh. right. Cleaning houses. And oh. it just crashed Im- immediately for her. Wow. Um, yeah, different, I think different for her now, um, her and her daughter actually ended up getting COVID a couple of months ago. Oh my goodness. The Omicron um, variant. They did. They did. Uh, her daughter's 13 and actually ended up in the ICU. Oh no. Um, for, for several weeks. Um, so, you know, they're, they're all vaccinated now and I think she's got a certainly a different tune but it just you know mm-hmm. sometimes you have to see things for yourself I guess yeah yeah there's you know, a lot situations. of loss people lost income friendships because um, people weren't able to see each other a lot of divorces um and then a lot of people lost loved ones it's just a lot of loss it's yeah more than usual right yeah. <laughs> so wow. here we are we're still alive. We're making it. We're talking about it, right? We've got things are happening. We have yes. a we we have a uh, you know we have a shot that hopefully works for us. <laughs> right? Yeah, I took the vaccine. I still got the Omicron variant, but I think it would have been a so lot. So did I. So did right? I. <laughs> uh, yeah, because I have asthma, and so I had shortness of breath. I couldn't really talk on the phone. Like, I remember calling mm. my mom. She's like, are you running? And I'm like, I'm sitting down. It just, <laughs> it's like, so it probably would have been a lot worse if I hadn't had the vaccine. Um, How were your, like, long, long, like long-term like long results? Have you had any? Like- um, no long COVID, thank goodness. Like, I stayed home for 10 days from work. And other than the shortness of breath, I had a cough and like sniffles and I was exhausted. Like I would just fall asleep for no reason. Yep. yep. That fog yeah. is real. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> did you have the Omicron variant? I did. I did. So I got, um, I got it in January of this year, actually. 
Mm. Um, oh, around the same time. Yeah. Yeah. Right after I got my booster shot, right? Uh, I like a week later. It I hadn't had time to actually like kick in and take effect, but I I had to go up to Chicago. Um, and I'm pretty sure I got it either at the airport, um, picking up my kids uh, or uh or possibly at one of the stops on the way back. Um but yeah, I I I got it and mm-hmm. it was a mild annoyance, I think mostly. Right. Yeah. Like there was one day that I was like, uh, this sucks. It's kind of like a sinus infection of sorts. Yeah. And then after that, like I was basically fine and I was working and everything, but I was testing positive for like another almost 10 days. Yeah. So I was like isolating because of that. Um, but yeah, I think if I had, if I had not been like vaccinated, it would have been far worse. I, I know me and I know my body. And when I get sick, I get really fucking sick. Yeah. Yeah. So. Wow. Well, I really thank you for your time. I'm so glad that you allowed me to interview you. Um, I, I'm really looking forward to having all these conversations in the museums. And then that way, in the, like I'm envisioning in the future, like students, like researching COVID-19 pandemic and mm. then like hearing us so they know exactly what it was like and not what the news media said it was like. Um, yeah. Agreed. I think this is going to be amazing. I can't wait to hear all the other stories. I will note also that we are recording on another milestone day for COVID of sorts. Oh, right? really? This today, uh, this morning, they re- re- loosened more of the uh, masking guidelines, um, including on airplanes. Right. So. Yeah. <laughs> I feel about that one. Let me phrase that. I don't like it, but uh, it is a milestone day. And I know it's one that's being marked by a lot of people who are not happy about those guidelines in the first place. Yeah, I did hear about that. The federal courts ruled that the government can't require masks on airlines. I don't know what that's going to be like. I just flew to Baton Rouge, Louisiana with my family the first week of April. And we mm-hmm. all wore masks. Like, I can't imagine being on a plane with the virus just in the air. Just in the air. <laughs> like, no. Sealed up in a tube, right? <laughs> I, I have to drive. I have to, like, I think it's. Uh, yeah, I personally am not comfortable being in closed spaces without a mask. Yeah, thank you. Something for to worry that. about. No problem. No problem. Yeah. Uh, good luck. It was good chatting with you. Thank you. I'll be in touch and have a good awesome. day today. You too. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to my interview with Muhammad for my oral history project, Black America and COVID. If you are a Black American and you would like to share your experience living, working, and or going to the school during the COVID-19 pandemic, then email me at soniakillabrew at gmail.com or you can message me through my Instagram account, Black America and COVID, all one word, all lowercase. If you are a non-Black American and you would like to memorialize the life of a Black American who sadly passed away during the pandemic, then you can also email me to share a story about this person. Thank you. My name is Sonia Jean Killebrew.
And this is Black America in COVID, an oral history project.